And good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. And in order to do that, of course, it's not been a very good week as far as the weather is concerned, but in order to talk about the Reds and the Indians, not only do we have to have me, but we've also got to have our resident Reds expert from down south, Mark Donahue. Mark, better late than never. How are you tonight? I'm great, Dave, except in the world of technology, you and I have a very bad connection, and I can barely hear you, so if our fans would be patient, I'm going to call you right back. That sounds like a great idea, because we do have a bad connection, so go ahead and do that. So Mark's going to check out for a second as we get our phone connection set up here this evening and get him back on the air, but want to talk a little bit before we get into anything tonight about just what is going on with the Indians and the Reds. And, of course, we're going to do that as we start off tonight with the Cleveland Indians. The Indians right now are down in the Dominican Republic. They're going to open up a two-game set tomorrow night and Wednesday night against the Minnesota Twins. And now we've got Mark back on. Let's see if we're doing any better. Mark, are you there? I'm here, and I hope you can hear me, and, and my voice is coming across clear. I can, I can barely hear you, Dave. It must be the weather. Yeah, it's got to be the weather. I'm not sure, boy. We have really got a terrible, terrible connection with you here tonight for some reason whatsoever. But anyway, we'll try to battle through it here this evening. Mark, uh, I was just telling the folks out there, as far as the Indians are concerned, they are down in the Dominican Republic, so this weather that has been plaguing the state of Ohio uh, is not going to bother them or shouldn't bother them down in the Dominican Republic, but it is harder than heck to play baseball in this kind of weather. Well, I wish we were anywhere but Ohio right now. I guess the only place worse to be is Minnesota, so I guess we have a count of blessings. But <laughs> uh, I've never experienced a spring like this in Ohio in, in my my long life, and uh, I'm not sure you have either, but uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks it's going to warm up and we can start focusing on baseball. Yeah, this this is crazy because, I mean, just four days ago down here in the Cincinnati area, you had 77 degrees to open up that four-game set against the Cardinals. It was a great night on Thursday night, great night on Friday night, and then Saturday and Sunday just this weather went right down into the toilet. Mark, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Okay. All right. But the Indians, I guess, are not going to have to worry about that as we start off tonight's show. The Indians are looking to play the Minnesota Twins, and they're going to be down at Hiram Betrold Stadium in the Dominican Republic to open up a two-game set with the Minnesota Twins. And you're probably asking yourself, why are they down there? Well, they're playing close to the hometown of Francisco Lindor and... Perez. They're going to be playing uh, down in the Dominican Republic where those two players have come up for the Indians, not only uh, Roberto Perez, but also Francisco Lindor. So they shouldn't have to worry about the weather down there, Mark. No, and the Reds don't have to worry about weather for the next three nights because they're going to be in Milwaukee. And uh, they have, of course, a, a dome stadium there. And you know, I was thinking about that. I wonder if it's ever going to get to the point where teams in, in cold weather cities, if they build new stadiums, uh, MLB is going to enforce the fact that they have to have a dome stadium because there's so many cold weather cities where this happens all the time, in, in, particularly in the spring. But even what this is is some of the cold weather you can get in uh, postseason because you know if you're playing a game in Chicago. Uh, in uh, September or October, it can snow. And I've seen it snow up there. So, anyway, um, hopefully this weather will pass. And as I said, we'll be uh, basking in the warmth uh, pretty, pretty quickly. Mark, you know, one of the things that the Indians did a year ago as we start off tonight's show, they took a full share of their playoff earnings, of an absolute full share, and donated it to 
the area down in Puerto Rico where Francisco Lindor and Roberto Perez grew up, of course, was part of that that hurricane and, and monsoon down there. And that whole share came out to almost $37,000, $36,700 that they donated to that area to rebuild. You know, as, as much as I get on the Indians and what it is that they lack in empathy about spending money on their team, well, I'll tell you what, sometimes they come right up and they show just what a class organization they really are. Well, that's, that's, that's great to hear. And with the amounts of money these guys are making, it, uh, that's good to hear. The teams are looking out besides just their their next Mercedes and do something <laughs> like that. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a tribute to the team that that happened. Of course, one of the things, we're going to start a new segment tonight. Mark and I discussed it last week. It's going to be the state of the team. And Mark, at the end of the show, is going to talk a little bit about what he thinks is going on with the Cincinnati Reds, and I'm going to take the same amount of time and tell you about my state of the Cleveland Indians. We'll be doing that later on tonight on tonight's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark, one thing, though, as far as the the positive effects are for the Reds, there really hasn't been because that four-game set against the Cardinals was just atrocious by the Reds. And going through their first 15 games, they've got a record of two and 13 on the season, and it's been 87 years, Mark, since the Reds have had a worse start than they've had this season. Yeah, I, I was going back over some <laughs> some numbers, and the way they're, you know, Dave, it's not just the fact they're losing. They're, they're, getting, they're getting beaten in every way. They're getting beaten offensively. They're the, the worst scoring team. In baseball, worst batting average. Uh, they, their pitching has been atrocious. Their bullpen's been bad. Even their defense has been bad. And uh, you know, it's it's to me like 2018 is becoming the culmination to bad stuff uh, that this organization has been doing for the last four years, and it is it's now coming back to roost. And I, I don't know how bad it's going to get, but right now the Reds are on pace to blow away their, their worst teams of all time. And I, I pointed out two teams, the 1934 team, which had a winning percentage of 344, and the 1982 team, which lost 101 games, the only team that has lost 100 games, and they had a winning percentage of 377. It's only uh, into, what, 15 games, but the Reds have a 23% winning percentage. So they are in uncharted territory, and, uh, and even though they're winning tonight, um, uh, the Reds are in, in really dire shape. And this organization, if things continue this way, uh, there, there, has to, there just has to be major changes made. This, this is now not bad baseball. This is embarrassing. They've got the worst record in baseball the last four years, and they may, this team could lose 110 games this year. Yeah, what, I mean, one night it's the pitching, one day it's the fielding, one day it's the hitting. Of course, Joey Votto has had just a terrible start to the beginning of this season after having such a wonderful 2017 season. You just can't put your finger on one thing and plug the dike and hope that the rest of the team makes up on it, can you? Yeah, it is. That's what I said. It's across the board, and it's not just that they're playing bad baseball for them. Uh, they're playing historically bad baseball, and you're right. So many things are going wrong with this team that you can't go out there and make a trade and say, hey, we're going to go out and get a power hitter, or we're going to get a pitcher or two to come in. This What's happening now is the team basically had decided four years ago, we don't care if we win. Or we're going to lose. Our fans will stick by us. And maybe we'll get to the World Series and maybe we won't. And uh, that's going to be one of the subjects I'll talk about later tonight. But right now this team, you know, the, the worst records in, in Major League Baseball history are in sight for this team. I mean, that, that's a scary thing to say. 
1916 Philadelphia Athletics, they won 36 games and lost 117, and these were in 154-game schedules. That's a 235 winning percentage. Uh, 35 Braves, 248, and the 1962 Mets, 250. They won 40 and lost 120. I'm going to track the Reds. Right now, Dave, the Reds are behind all three of those teams. That, that's where we are right now with this team. So uh, you're right. They're down on every aspect of the game. Can they get better? Of course. It, it has to get better because it can't get any worse. But right now, this team is in, is in dire shape. Well, the Cleveland Indians, though, they are 8-6 and six on the season. Mark, I want to ask you this question. The Indians have had three straight days off. Their last two games against the Toronto Blue Jays at home on Saturday and Sunday were postponed due to the weather. It was just too terrible up in Cleveland to play. Now they're going to play two games down in the Dominican Republic, and then they get Thursday off, which is going to be another off day, and then they travel to Baltimore from the Dominican Republic. Can you really get into a groove with the schedule the way it is right now for the Indians? Well, it's, it's hard for any team, any, any athlete. It doesn't matter if it's baseball or, or basketball particularly. You know, football, they're used to having weeks off at a time, but not baseball. And, you know, the whole idea that this uh, this weather is playing havoc with with the with the teams right now. If I were the Indians, um, I wouldn't be that concerned about it. Your pitching is getting rested. And don't forget, spring training is a drag, and it's tiring. And you know you're, you're getting in shape and all that stuff. And it's not it's not easy on the body. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it, Dave. I think it's a it's a really good situation for the Indians. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I would. I would much be getting three days off at an eight and six record than what the Reds are with with no rest. Well, here's the question that I've got, and I posed it uh, to one of my sons earlier this evening. On Wednesday night, it'll be the fifth day of rest for Corey Kluber. So, do you go ahead and throw Kluber, even though I mean he'll be on his regular day of rotation? Uh, do you just skip everybody else? You go with Carrasco tomorrow night, obviously, and then. Go with Kluber again on Wednesday, or do you stick with your rotation? Uh, I think you stick with the rotation because if, if you get out of that rotation, it's going to come back to bite you later on. Uh, I think the the great thing about this is you can give your your bullpen a rest, and you don't have to tax your starters. And you know, let let them play, uh, let them pitch for you know five six innings. Don't worry about them going nine. Get your bullpen some activity. And I, I don't think it's, it's, you know, if you're off a week or, or something like that, that's different. But I don't think three days is going to be a problem for, for the Indians at all. You know, right now they're in second place. They're a half a game behind Minnesota. But, boy, that game on Friday night, I'm going to talk about it in my State of the Indians message coming up at the end of the show, Mark. Uh, I'm I'm very, very upset at the the things that transpired in that ball game, and we'll we'll go into that later on on the show. We talked about the Reds. You said it at the beginning during our prediction show that you thought the Reds could be anywhere from 10 to 12 games out of first place by the end of April. Mark, we're at April 16th. Now, right now they've got a 3 to nothing lead over Milwaukee, but they're nine games behind Pittsburgh in the National League Central Division. They are in almost desperate mode. Well, I was optimistic, Dave. <laughs> when I said 10 games out by the end of April, I mean, no kidding, they could be 20 games out, you know, in the middle of May. And that's that's not a stretch at this point. So there's a lot of things going wrong, and uh, it looks like they're trying to make it up in one night, though. They're, they're up 7 to nothing now. Uh, in the in the fourth inning, or in the, actually in the sixth inning, so seven to nothing, the Reds are up. And well, this is the first lead they've had like this all year. So who knows uh, what they'll do tonight? But uh, you know, as I said before, we'll get into more detail later on. But uh, the challenges for this team uh, are systemic and they're organizational. You know, the, the people I don't blame for what's happening, I don't blame the players. Uh, you you know you, you a team is made up 
40 players, depending on your point of view. But it's everything that's happened tonight has been a, or this year has been a result of bad ownership. There's no other way to say it. And Bob Gasparini, from all indications, is a great guy. He's a humanitarian, tremendous businessman, success at every level in his life. But whoever he has turned the baseball decisions over the last decade has not worked. It just hasn't worked. Why is it in this country, Mark, that we have suddenly over the past five to ten years started believing that a great businessman can turn everything around? Just because Bob Castellini had a great business, made enough money to buy the Cincinnati Reds, does not mean he's going to be a great baseball owner. It's just not guaranteed to happen. But in this country right now, we've got this feeling that a great business owner is going to be able to turn anything around, including our government, our baseball teams, football teams, basketball teams. It doesn't matter. Why have we gotten that that mentality all of a sudden? Well, I think there's a presumption that it's organizational skills rather than baseball knowledge that goes into ownership of a team. And you can then turn to hiring good baseball people. But... You know, I, I disagree with that. I think you have to have some kind of baseball. Uh, you have to have played the game. And I, I'm going to be very interested to see what happens in, in Miami with Derek Jeter. Obviously, a guy played the game. and he, he, I, I don't know if officially he has an ownership role, but he certainly has a managerial role at the front office. And he might even have some ownership in it. Uh, that'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Because he knows baseball. He knows the players. And I'll tell you, if he can turn that organization around down there, which is, is a real challenge, uh, I, I think the, the owners may be getting away from the Bob Castellinis uh, and all their talents. They're, they're just not baseball guys. They like baseball. They think they can manage it like a, like a business, like a normal business, but it's not. And the, what's happened on this with the Reds is, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad situation, and it's as a longtime fan, I, you know, the lack of enthusiasm for this team is what scares me. It's just, who cares? That, it, it's that attitude that scares me. You're absolutely right, because being down here in Cincinnati, it, it is an attitude right now of, oh, the Reds are playing tonight? No, I'm not going to the game. Why bother? Uh, they're not very good. Um, and you're right, it is scary, because... The apathy towards this team will continue to spread, and it will get to a point where people just don't care. And believe me, I know that because I'm watching the same thing happen, and I've seen this movie run itself before over the last 20 years with the Cleveland Browns, where you've gone through an entire new situation, an entire new group of fans, Mark, that were born in 1999, came up and started rooting for the Browns and have seen nothing but losing seasons constantly, constantly. From 1999 through 2017, they've seen nothing but losing seasons. They don't care about the Browns anymore. The Browns-Steelers rivalry means nothing. The Browns-Bengals rivalry means nothing to them. They're rooting for teams outside of the area. Now, down here, I see a lot of people that are, are still rooting for the Bengals. Yeah, they root for the Reds. But in all, for all intents and purposes, Mark, they're rooting for the Reds just simply because it's the only game in town right now. Well, I think the, the Cleveland Indian fans have proved that if you put a winner on the field, they're going to fill that stadium. They've done it. They did it back in the mid-'90s. They're doing it again now. And the Reds haven't gotten the memo and with regard to keeping a team competitive. You don't have to win it every year, but if you're 20 games out of first place in the first week of May, nobody's going to show up for four months, and that is just dumb. That is dumb management. And there's no, there's no other way to say it. Uh, somebody made that decision, and if it's Bob Castellini, Bob, uh, it was the wrong one. And whoever your baseball people were, they gave you bad information. But, but you're the guy, and. 
Uh, Bob Kathleen, I've seen it in print many times. He wants to win. It's the most important thing. He wants to win. He wants to win. Then invest in your team. Yeah, and it just hasn't happened. As far as the Indians are concerned, well, you've got a couple of injuries that we're going to talk about tonight. Infielder Gio Urshela, of course, he was my vote to be the third baseman a couple of years ago, and he has begun his rehab assignment on Friday after landing on the 10-day DL in late March with a mild right hamstring strain. That means a roster decision could be nearing for the Indians, and that means Eric Gonzalez will be going up against uh, Gio Urshela you know, the thing about it is right now they're carrying six outfielders, Mark, and only one utility infielder. Terry Francona is going to have to look and see just what means more to him, a utility infielder or an extra outfielder. I don't think it's so much that Eric Gonzalez is going to go up against Urshela. It may be the fact that Tyler Naquin may be on his way out the door again, depending upon just the severity of the Lonnie Chisenhall injury. Another thing that they've got is Terry Francona right now is right now has reached the stage where he's actually negotiating days off with Michael Brantley. He does not want to push Brantley too hard to get back into the lineup in left field. They want to closely monitor his playing status so he doesn't hurt that ankle again. However, Brantley is really bugging Francona to get into the lineup on an everyday fashion, and we're going to have to keep an eye on that as far as the Indians are concerned. I'll tell you, Michael Brantley makes a big difference in the Indians lineup because you could put him at three, four, or five, Mark, and and you can really lengthen out that lineup if you've got Brantley in left field playing full-time to full potential. Well, you, that lineup is so strong that, you know, the being able to, to do without Brantley for a while and not have it hurt your team just shows how strong that team is. Yeah, it's, now tell me about what's going on with Joey Votto. What have you seen happening with him? He's only got 13 hits so far in 55 at-bats. That's coming into tonight's game. I'm not sure what he's been doing tonight, but he's coming in with a two thirty six batting average, no home runs, only four RBIs so far through the first three weeks of the season. What What is going wrong with Joey Votto right now? I don't know other than the fact that he came to camp by his own admission about 10 to 15 pounds more than he played last year. That's the only thing I can see. And I think tonight he got his first extra base hit of the year. Um, his swing looks the same to me as it was last year. Uh, he certainly, um, he's a strong guy. He, you know, his, he wanted to put on the weight because he thought he wore down through the season. To me, he doesn't look any bigger, uh, but he said he did, at least in spring training. So uh, I don't know, but he's, he's done this before. And he started off slowly and comes back and has a great year. He's got a couple of hits tonight, uh, and maybe that, you know, that'll get him going. Maybe the warm weather will get him going. Who knows? A couple other players I want to ask you about. First of all, Scooter Jeanette. You know, you and I have discussed him over the past year and, what, a month now since the Reds? Picked him up from Milwaukee a year ago. He really had a fantastic season a year ago. You have doubts as to whether he's in the Reds' long-term plans after this season. But, Mark, the, the way he's hitting the ball and the way he's become a staple in the lineup, especially since he comes from Cincinnati, can they really just go ahead and just let this guy go or, or trade him away? Yeah, I think he's, he's great trade bait for the right team, and that's you know that's what I hope they can do. But uh, you know the, the Reds have some people that they can they can trade if they want to trade. But at some point, I mean, when did the trades end? I mean, they they look at their roster from from 2014 to now. Uh, I think 13 you know 13 players are gone uh, or more, and at some point you have to say. The rebuild either didn't work, and we're going to start over, or it's it's almost done. Where are we? This this could within the rebuild. You're supposed to get be getting better, but finishing last place three years in a row and fourth place once, and this this year again could be the worst of all. What's the direction here? And everybody you know blames Brian Price. And I think Brian Price 
is probably one of the weaker managers in baseball. I, I admit that. But I don't care who you have managing this team right now, they wouldn't win. So is Brian Price a scapegoat? Yeah. But I tell you, I, I, as much as I like him, uh, you've got to try something new because whatever they're doing now isn't working. No, absolutely not. It just it it has not worked now for as you said going on four years. But Mark, when you as you look at what has happened with the Houston Astros, of course, winning the World Series title a year ago back in 2013, which by your own admission was the last time that the Reds were a good baseball team. That's about the time that Houston was at the end of what a lot of people thought was tanking it. And a lot of baseball teams have started to do that, where they've just started tanking the season so they could get high draft picks and rebuild their organization, much like the Houston Astros did. Now, I know nobody has even bothered in the media down here in Cincinnati to ask the Reds if that's what they're doing, so I guess I'm going to be the first one to ask you, is that the blueprint that the Reds are using over the last couple of years? Yeah, but they're trying to do it with with no help in the free agent market uh, or making trades that improve the team. You can't finish last three years in a row and do nothing in the offseason of that third year. Uh, this team has lost there are 100 games under 500 over the last four years. Think of that. 100 games under 500. And they don't make any moves? You've got to be kidding me. You mean they, they, they couldn't go out and sign a couple pitchers? Uh, it, it, it's just it's, it's baffling. And I, I just wonder what they're trying to do. Is it just to hoard the money? Is that it? Is it all financial? They don't care about winning? No explanation from management? Here's our strategy? Uh, it, it's just baffling to me. Is this the worst stretch that the Reds have ever had? The worst what? Worst stretch that they've ever had? Yeah, I, I went back today and I actually did some studying on that. And again, the, the two teams that stand out were 34 and 82. But this is the worst stretch of losing baseball since the mid-30s when they were a horrific team. But it, it's, there's no excuse now. I mean, the Reds have the money. Uh, the, the TV contract was renegotiated. They've simply made stupid baseball decisions. There's no, there's no other way to sugarcoat it. They have made just ridiculous baseball decisions. And as a result, they're in a spot now where their best players are two or three years away. And then, Dave, there's no guarantee. I mean, uh, Hunter Green should be a great pitcher, but he's three years away. And what happens if he gets hurt? There's, there's so much that they have done wrong that you can have a decade of losing baseball here that can really set this team back a long, long time. What? Tell me a little bit about your your thoughts right now on just what this team can do to even salvage this season a little bit to give the fans some hope for the next couple of years. Well, they've got some assets. And I think the biggest asset they may have is Homer Bailey. Uh, the Yankees need a starting pitcher. They can afford Homer Bailey. And I think you could pick up some, some young you know, young Yankee players that could help this team. Uh, I mean, we talk about Joey Votto. If Joey Votto got sick of losing, and I think he might be, there's a lot of places that Joey Votto could go. Uh, and you, you get some young talent here uh, that, that can not only give us something two years from now, but something next year. You don't want just to get, you know, a, a, a Class A player. You want a Triple A player, somebody ready to break in. But Joey Votto would be a great pickup for a lot of teams. That, that's the only way you're going to do it. If you're going to do a rebuild, you don't have a first baseman as much as I love Joey Votto. You don't have a first baseman if they're missing $25 million a year on a team that's 30 games out of first place. That's insane. No, that's and the true. And you have to do that 
is to make up for all the dumb decisions that have been made over the last uh, five or six years. Can they do that? Yeah, they can do it. I don't think they will do it. But you have to take drastic measures when you have... And, and, you know, I think this goes back, it sounds silly, but the, the Reds in 2010, they, they did not have a good hitting ball club, and yet they got to the playoffs because they had great pitching. Why didn't they go out and sign a hitter or two that would have got them further into the playoffs, build up momentum? They could have come back then in 2011 where they did not compete because they didn't have that hitter. They could have maybe won a World Series in 2012. They were that close. 13, they, they got beat in, in the first you know, round of the playoffs against the Pirates. Same thing. They, they, they don't make preemptive moves. So now things are so bad that you have to go back and, and make desperate moves because you have no choice. It, it just it makes no sense that the organization was so poorly prepared to address how you how you build this thing, besides putting in a new restaurant in the the, the stadium, it, it, it makes no sense. Well, as as you look at this and and see what the Reds have not done over the past few years, and see what they have to do. I mean, you're right; they're going to have to unload a lot of their players, if not all of their good players, and get back some younger players. And that's exactly what the Indians did back in the late 1980s, early 1990s. They got rid of all their overpriced veteran ball players, and in return stockpiled their minor league system with young ball players. Now, did all of those players hit? No, not at all. But I remember, I remember one trademark that they made that was probably the the hallmark of what this team did to get themselves over the hump and becoming a winning franchise again, was when they traded Eddie Taubensey to the Houston Astros for a little-known guy named Kenny Lofton. And nobody knew who in the world Kenny Lofton was, nor did they care. They made so much fun of that deal, but that was really the first deal, Mark, that the Indians made. And I, I remember that deal like it was yesterday. Because Eddie Tobinsey was on the team, he was a catcher, Houston needed a catcher, and the Indians managed to get back a guy named Kenny Lofton. I, I can go on and on about deals that the Indians made that people thought were crazy, but turned out to be great deals as they went down the road. And Mark, I think that's something that the, the Reds are going to have to do. They're going to have to give up the Joey Votos. They're going to have to give up the Homer Baileys. They're going to have to give up the Autumn Duvalls. My question to you is, where in the hell is Robert Stevenson right now? Well, again, you know, Robert Stevenson, he's a nice young man. I heard him talk. He's intelligent. Uh, Robert Stevenson was a bad pick. Yeah. Not his fault. The Reds paid him. I'd take the money, too. But those are the kinds of deals, the kinds of draft choices that can set back an organization for, for years. And unfortunately, the Reds have a lot of those over the last five or ten years. But the biggest issue is the inability, not the inability, the, the refusal to go out and sign free agents and, and make trades that make sense. When you, when you trade a Rollers Chapman for, and, and get back what they got for him, that's just, that's criminal. Somebody should have been fired over that deal. And they just, they get nothing back on these trades. And, you know, you have to know your players, and you have to know the other team's players. And so far, over the last five or six years, the Reds' refusal to make trades, the refusal to sign a free agent, uh, it's come back to haunt them. And now you're the worst team in baseball. So, you know, <laughs> the facts are the facts. You can't argue with it. But when you look back at the Cleveland Indians team, Back in the 90s, do you recall how they built that team? Yeah, I, I remember a lot of it, yeah. They they went out, they traded they traded old, crappy ball players, to be honest with you, and got back young talent, not talent that they were going to be playing immediately. They got talent from the single-A and double-A level, 
and then groomed them into coming in. I mean, I, I and and then of course they drafted. They had a tremendous draft. I mean, first of all, at, uh, Albert Bell was a guy that they drafted in the late rounds. And if you recall, Albert Bell was not Albert at the time. He was Joey. And they drafted him. They drafted Jim Tomey. They drafted Manny Ramirez. They went out and they got Carlos, uh, uh, oh crap, I can't even remember his name now, but the second baseman. All I can think of is Carlos Beltran, and that's Bayerga, correct. They got Bayerga. They went out, and, and the coup de grand mark was when they needed a shortstop. And they called up the Seattle Mariners and got a shortstop by the name of Omar Vizquel. And why were they able to get Omar Vizquel? Because Seattle also had a guy that was playing shortstop for them named A-Rod. They didn't need Omar Vizquel. So the Indians gave them next to nothing for Omar, and Omar was the glue that solidified that lineup together. They did a lot of things, but the the first, the, you know, Mark, now that you bring it up, the very first deal that they made, the very first one, was when they got Sandy Alomar Jr. from the San Diego Padres. Do you remember back then, Sandy Alomar Jr. was the guy that everybody wanted? He was he was the kid in the minor leagues that everybody in Major League Baseball wanted, and the Indians went out and made San Diego a deal. And and matter of fact, they got Bayerga in the same deal along with Sandy Alomar. Now that I'm thinking about it, they got Carlos Bayerga and Sandy Alomar. To me, the Cleveland Indians in the, in the mid 1990s were one of the best teams that never won a World Championship. Uh, it, it reminded me, you know, you look back at the Cincinnati Reds in the 70s, had they not won those two world championships, and, and, they, and you have to admit, against Boston, they could easily have lost that, that, that last game in 1975. Oh, yeah. That turned that franchise around for 20 years. They won in 75, they got the monkey off the bat, they won again in 76, they won, in, won the division in 79, and that's after they had, you know, had a great first half of that decade. So... Uh, you know, if the Indians had won in 95 and 97, uh, this franchise history would be a lot different than it is right now. A- absolutely. I mean, but what happened with the Indians wasn't so much what they did as far as getting ball players. but I'm going to go back to what you said earlier tonight. It was an organizational thing. It was a situation where Dick Jacobs and his brother at the time bought the team. Did they want to buy the team? No. But they were born and raised in Cleveland. The Indians were this close, and I'm putting my finger and my thumb about an inch apart right now, from moving out of Cleveland and going to Florida where they would have become the Miami Marlins instead of the Marlins being an expansion team. They were that close to going to Miami and making the movie Major League a real story. But Dick Jacobs and his brother came in on their white horses, bought this team from next to nothing, and then brought in a baseball man in John Hart. John Hart came in, and the first thing he told the Jacobs brothers he was going to do was he was going to manage this team for the last two months of the season because he wanted to see in person, up close, exactly what this team had. He did. And then he brought in... John McNamara to manage a couple of seasons. And everybody in Cincinnati remembers John McNamara. And then they got rid of John McNamara when this team was ready to just transfer over into the younger players. And at that point in time, John Hart knew that it was unfair to McNamara to manage a bunch of kids and go on a losing string of three or four seasons. So they brought in Mike Hargrove to run the the managerial duties for the team and let him lose for a little while, but it was Hargrove that grew into that role. But Mark, what I'm saying is that the very top was Dick Jacobs, who put John Hart in, in complete control of the organization, set it up the way he wanted to, and had one specific instruction to John Hart. I want 8% return on my money. I remember that as clear as day. That is exactly what he told John Hart, I want 8% return on my money. I don't care what you do after that. Spend it all if you want to, but I want 8% per year. And John Hart built that team into what it is 
basically today, even after Jacobs sold the team to the Dolans. That's what you need at the top. You need a guy at the top that is going to just turn it over to the baseball people and let them run it. But you've got to have baseball people running a baseball organization, Mark. You can't bring in somebody like, you know, even Magic Johnson. I'm going to take him as an example out in L.A. Magic Johnson was smart enough to know he was not a baseball man, and he brought in baseball people when they bought the Dodgers three years ago. Hey, Dave. Um, I'm getting some emails here from our, our enormous fan base, and I think our technology is in, in dire straits tonight. People can't hear me, and they can hear you just fine. So I'm going to try one more time to call you back, but if it's no better, uh, I think you're going to take this to the house tonight yourself. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll catch up next week and find out what the technology is. But I've got four emails here saying that uh, people can't hear me. So I'll try it one more time, but if it doesn't work, um, uh, you and I will talk later. All right, we'll try this again. And uh, let Mark go ahead and, and try calling us in. We've tried to do this. Obviously, it's on his end because uh, he's been having problems with his phone line for the last few days. But um, obviously, this thing uh, is on his end. And unfortunately, if I'm not there to actually take a look at it, I can't tell you what it is that is happening on his end to see what in the world, how to how to fix it. But nonetheless... Another thing that uh, I want to talk about this evening, not only with the State of the Union, but is also uh, Jackie Robinson. Of course, the Indians and the Reds, and, and the Indians played yesterday, the Reds played yesterday with the number 42 on their back. And let's see if this is going to help us out here at all. Mark, are you there? Yes, but I'm afraid it's not much better. I tried my cell phone day, but I, I don't think it's much better. Yeah, I'm not sure... Uh, like I was telling people, I it, you know it's, yeah, it's 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 still you're you're still broken up and, and I can't be heard. So I'm gonna say good night to everybody out there and then we'll try and get this fixed for uh, for next week. All right, sounds good. That's gonna be it for Mark here tonight. But I'm gonna carry on the show uh, throughout the end of the evening here this evening. As we were talking about Jackie Robinson, Sunday marked the anniversary of Jackie Robinson's debut with the Brooklyn Dodgers, as it has been for the last several years, Major League Baseball has had all of their players wear Robinson's number 42, and a special mark is placed on all the caps and uniforms commemorating the occasion. But, like the dark clouds that seemed to blanket the league on the day, there were six weather-related postponements yesterday, and the Cardinals and Reds saw a very significant rain delay in their ball game at Great America Ballpark. One piece of merchandise that went on sale via the league's website raised some eyebrows. Probably, I'm going to be honest with you, it was probably about 10 people. Probably the same 10 people that come out every year before Progressive Field and try to get rid of Chief Wahoo. People, you've gotten rid of Chief Wahoo. Give it up. It's over. We understand that. Even though there is a petition going on right now with the people in Cleveland, there are 17,000 signatures on a petition to keep Chief Wahoo. 17,000 signatures on a petition, folks, that has only been online now for the last week. Week. And that's how many signatures. Meanwhile, we've got 10 people usually not even 10, it's normally about 5 or 6 that come out and want to protest only on opening day, but Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred seem to think that it is the entire Indian population, Native American population in this country that hates Chief Wahoo. I got news for Major League Baseball and everybody else out there. It is not a derogatory caricature of an Indian. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Have you never seen a smiling Indian? That's all it is. Chief Wahoo is an Indian that is smiling. There were years where Chief Wahoo couldn't smile because the Indians weren't winning. But for the last 20 years, he's been able to smile because the Indians have had a winning organization. Is that the problem? 
Is that the problem, that these people don't want to see the Indians have a winning organization? If the caricature is that bad, then what is wrong? Then is the name that bad, too? Are we not allowed to be called the Cleveland Indians anymore? I've said this before. I'll say it again. How far are we going to go with this stuff, folks? How far? Are are we going to get upset because the Cincinnati Reds are called the Reds? Are we going to have to say, oh, my God, we're going to tick the people off in Russia? We can't call the Reds the Reds anymore. You couldn't call them the Red Stockings because anybody who didn't wear Red Stockings or hated Red Stockings, you're going to get upset at them. You know, I heard Bill Maher say the other night on his show, Real Time, and he's absolutely correct. What was politically correct 20 years ago may be politically incorrect now, but that doesn't mean that we have to go back and make everything that happened 20 years ago politically incorrect. It just doesn't happen that way. We've grown as a society. There's nothing wrong with the Chief Wahoo caricature. But Major League Baseball, in their infinite wisdom, and everybody is entitled to having a mistake, well, they found out that the league put up on MajorLeagueBaseball.com a hat that had Jackie Robinson and the number 42 along with the Chief Wahoo caricature on a hat, and it was on MajorLeagueBaseball.com for people to buy. It was on there for about an hour before they said they had several people that put some pressure on them to remove that caricature because, according to them, due to many seeing it, at best, inappropriate, and according to this article, at worst, racist. I don't think it's inappropriate, nor do I think it's racist. I think it's a caricature of an Indian, and that cap went on sale at MajorLeagueBaseballShop.com. It was available for purchase with the Chief Wahoo and the Jackie Robinson Day logo on it, and once Major League Baseball was notified of that, the league pulled it from the site and said that it was a mistake and somehow had slipped through the cracks. So again, Major League Baseball with a black eye, according to what they think is a bad move with Chief Wahoo. As far as the state of the team is concerned, obviously we're not going to have Mark on here to talk about things, but I want to talk about the Indians and what happened on Friday night. I was very disappointed in the fact that the Indians had a 4 to nothing lead over the Toronto Blue Jays. Then the lead went to 4-1, to one, and they brought in Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller came into the ballgame and in a 4-4, in a 4-3 to three ball game. Uh, a, Mike Clevenger had given up a two-run homer to make the score four to three, heading into the set, the eighth inning. Andrew Miller came in with runners at second and third, and two outs, and up to the plate for Toronto was rookie Teoscar Hernandez. Now Teoscar Hernandez had just come up, came up that night, and with a four to three lead. Miller had a count of one and two on Hernandez. Now, anybody who's seen Andrew Miller pitch knows that he's going to pepper that outside corner to right-handed hitters. He's going to go low and outside into the right-handed batter's box against lefty hitters, but he's going to pepper the outside corner in the left-handed batter's box against right-handed hitters. And that's just exactly what he did with Hernandez, who's a right-handed hitter. He had been just brought up from the minors that night, was put into the lineup to play left field, And with Jerry Davis behind the plate, Andrew Miller threw a strike out of that computer box. You could tell that it was a strike over the outside corner for called strike three. Both Hernandez started to walk away from the plate. Miller started to walk to the dugout. The only thing is Jerry Davis forgot to raise his right hand and call it a strike. So that made the count two and two. So Miller put the ball in the same spot on the very next pitch. Again, another ball, three and two. So Miller's thinking, okay, in order for me to get this guy out, I'm going to have to bring it in just a little bit more on the outside corner. He did. Hernandez was looking for it, and he drilled a base hit to the outfield, and that gave Toronto the tying run and the go-ahead run, and they ended up winning the ball game that night by a final score of 8-4. to four. My saying is, and Mark and I have discussed this throughout the seasons, Mark has always said that 
he thinks that the base umpires are going to be replaced by the computer system. My situation is is that I believe the home plate umpire needs to be replaced anymore. If we're going to replace all the umpires, we might as well just go ahead and do it because the the strike zones in Major League Baseball are too subjective from one umpire to another. I could understand if we've got all the umpires calling the same strike zone. Unfortunately, we don't have that anymore. We don't have the umpires calling the same strike zone as according to the book. I can understand a little bit of the leeway, but when you're dictating what a pitcher does and where he's got to throw the ball in order to get a strike, that's the end of the game for me. So my State of the Union message is to Major League Baseball, go ahead and just replace all the umpires with computers. Let's just get it done. As far as the red schedule for the upcoming week, they have got the Braves tonight, and as you heard Mark say, they were up 7 to nothing as the last check. They've also got the Braves on Tuesday and Wednesday night. That is at 6.40. I'm sorry, it's the Brewers, not the Braves. And then they're going to play the Brewers in Milwaukee at 12.35 on Thursday. Then they're Minnesota Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So hopefully the Reds can come out of their funk and help the Indians out against the Twins this weekend. Meanwhile, as we've been telling you since the top of the show, the Indians are in the Dominican Republic to play a two-game set against the Minnesota Twins tomorrow night and Wednesday night. Carlos Beltran, who played on the World Series champion Houston Astros a year ago and then retired, he's going to throw out the ceremonial first pitch before game one of the two-game Puerto Rico series between the Indians and the Twins at historic Hiram Bithorn Stadium in San Juan, and that is going to be tomorrow night, and it will end up on Wednesday. Both of those games are going to get underway at 6 o'clock in the Dominican Republic. So that is where the Indians are going to play on Tuesday and Wednesday, and then they've got Thursday off, and then they will be playing at Baltimore Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then again Monday night. So they've got a wraparound series with the Orioles, that coming up at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So that's going to do it for tonight's program. Glad you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll get the technical difficulties taken care of and get things underway for you again next Monday night at 9 o'clock when Mark will rejoin us then. Until then, I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Have a good week, everybody. Mm-hmm.